I wish to start by acknowledging that the autumnal equinox was yesterday. The northern and southern hemispheres of this planet received for just a moment the same level of sunlight. And now in the north here we enter autumn and daylight is less present than the night and it continues to wane. And sometimes these things are just really obvious, but I find it interesting that within this apparent balance of daylight and darkness, there exists the presence of, or the implication of, or the seed of what is to come, which is winter. You know, winter's not here yet, but we we know that it's coming somehow in our bodies. We have these cyclical wisdoms in our bodies. Fall has this feeling of transition. There's back to school, return from the exuberance perhaps of summer to something more focused or more orderly or more serious. And at Great Val, there's the approaching practice period of Autumn Ango, in which the residents here devote more time to Zazen, to meditation and to silence. And it's a time for the assembly to unite in this turning inward to meditation. There's the simultaneity of coming together so that we can be solitary in our cultivation. So these past couple of days, it's been a bit chilly and rainy. And for me, that brings to the foreground that things never really arrive. Is it now autumn because the calendar says so? Or because it's chilly and it just feels darker and it's rainy? or because there are now pumpkin spice lattes available at Starbucks. There's no definitive event called autumn. You know, we have these provisional labels, which are super useful for sure, but autumn never quite arrives. The traceless path of the cranes across the sky express things never arrive. The day today, this season, this life is just this indescribable presence. And there's a, there's a temptation in me to stop talking after this acknowledgement of the indescribability of life.
the mystery of life. But that's not what's on the menu at this hour. It's Dharma talk time, so we got to get to that. The settling into mystery, the being open to being graced by mystery, belongs to the domain of, of Zazen, of sitting in silence, being open. receiving the world before words and compartmentalizing and evaluation. Zazen that is quiet and humming with the vibration of this world's abundance. The Zazen that is your ordinary Zazen, just feeling how you're feeling and thinking what you're thinking. The miracle of Zazen is that the gate is open very wide. What standard could we possibly hold up to measure our life, to measure our spiritual maturity, our worthiness? There seems to be this, this sickness of evaluating, of judging, of measuring ourselves in the world. I certainly have felt sick with that illness. So that needs some addressing for sure. And that belongs to the worldly mode of success and achievement and doing. You get an A, A minus, B plus, C, D, 200 pounds, 110 pounds, 300 pounds, 151 pounds. But when we are sitting Zazen right here, and I do mean in this room right now, but the important point is that we must imagine into this being relevant wherever you find yourself, so monastery or otherwise. When we are sitting right here, there is no standard. We're just sitting together at peace, mutually supportive, supported, cultivating our own path, adding our ingredients to the cauldron of Sangha practice. The monastery is only a monastery because there's more than one person present at a time. We can observe the fruits of our efforts in practice, more serenity, more open-heartedness, more appreciation, 
more clarity. And even in that very real observation, there's only one perspective on the stage at a time, at that time. We may believe that practice is ripening when there is more serenity, more ease, but holding on to that assertion tends to crowd out the benefit of that which is hidden to us when there isn't necessarily fresh ease in the system. So instead of making Zen practice another self-improvement project, we show up and offer ourselves to the whole, to the whole of what's right in front of us. We show up and enter this wide open gate just by breathing and feeling deeply. How could you do something else? Meaning we're all doing that right now. And this continual offering is a mark of monastic practice as I understand it. So when it's 5.50 in the morning, the Han is ringing and it's time to come for Zazen, the invitation is just to show up. I've already committed to showing up at that time. So I just show up and offer loving attention. And if I look back on the meditation period and attempt to measure how it went, how can I truly know? Sincerely asking myself, how can I really know how things are going? Opens the door to relaxation. I notice that when I'm caught by anxiety, it's very often because there's a strong level of surety in the system that things aren't going so well and they're going to get worse. The relaxation is that I do not know very much at all about anyone else's perspective and I can only take care of what I can take care of within my sphere of influence. So back to things never arrive. Things never arrive and yet I'm confident that we should acknowledge and celebrate and feel into the presence of autumn. That's where we are now. So this season, one intention I have is to really let in the darkness into my body, which sounds abstract, but there, there's a gesture of just being open to this world, this environment. So letting the darkness into my body, letting the, the cold, the rain, those things can have a home in, in this awareness. I intend to let the brightness of the moon pull on my heart. The non-arrival of things is the space of what allows for things to be precious and impactful. We definitely are impacted by beings 
and events and the energy of the moment. I was thinking about the moon the other day and how amazing it is that all the water on earth is moved by the pulse of the moon. And it's been kind of fun recently to view myself as a kind of moon being. The moon has its many different faces that change pretty quickly, yet they reliably show up. I'm going to pause here to not get too woo-woo about the moon and the cosmos. But truly, it strikes me as medicinal to try on, like trying on a new pair of clothes, which I haven't done recently, like going to a store and trying on something new, but maybe sometime that could be fun. But it's medicinal to try on being open to the influence of celestial bodies instead of just running the same old tape, hit the tape, of the story of my life. The title of which is Me and My Predicaments. That is that's an Eckhart Tolle teaching, Me and My Predicaments. What a stressful, stressful story to listen to all the time. So we have these bodies and we are always in relationship with other beings and the whole world. So of course things arrive. I said things never arrive, but of course they arrive. We are always impacted. We have these beating hearts that love and open and break and are unarmored from the start, so tender. We can build up apparent armor, but it seems to me that the main function of the habit of armoring is to do something about the open, tender heart. It's so open, I have to (laughs) let it be safe. We aren't in control of how life unfolds. And that can be really scary. Or not being in control can lead to astonishment and freshness. The other day I was preparing to go on a bike ride. And part of the reason for the ride was a recognition of feeling a little stuck, a little low. And I wanted to remedy that. And I was going to do that. I was going to make that happen. I'm in control of my state. And as I went to the gym to get the bike, I heard some voices and merriment in the corner of the gym where the fitness equipment is. So I went over there and John and Ramsey were both warming up for their own individual workouts. And I just jumped in the fray and started joking around and being silly right along with them. And this encounter lasted maybe like three minutes. But as I went on my own way on my bicycle, I was uplifted. And the main point of this is that I was surprised by how impacted I was. 
by these people on this encounter. It lifted me out of a sense that I'm in charge of my state and my attitude is up to me. And it's up to me to practice skillful responses. I'm not in charge and I can just join in some laughter with friends. The tricky thing about talking about dharma, talking about truth, is that you can only express one thing at a time. As we all continue to practice, there are times when we hear something, or at least I certainly have felt this way, we hear something in this context of spiritual practice that just seems incomplete or confusing or not quite right. In general, the responsibility that we have as practitioners is to expand our view, to include other perspectives, and to allow each expression to shine on or with its own luster. Sometimes in this room, I hear things like, Dharma practice has two principles, yada, yada. And my mind jumps toward, well, what about this or that principle? You didn't mention that. We talk about making effort, but what about receiving? And I mention this because I just want to emphasize that Dharma practice is not a one-sided affair. How can it be that things never arrive, that life is always flowing, that people and places and events are always passing through, and that things do impact us, that we are touched when it's time to say goodbye to a loved one, and we don't know when we'll see them again. There are many sides to spiritual practice. There are many sides to a moment. There are many sides to an interaction. In the face of this, I find that a helpful attitude to cultivate is yes and. Saying yes to the moment, saying yes to our life, and letting and have its breathing room. Yes, I am a confused being, and I have so much wonder and gratitude. Yes, I made a mistake, and now I have an opportunity for gentleness and compassion. Yes, things never arrive. And when someone is looking me directly in the eye, and I look back, there is a real meeting. Yes, I have this personality and this history and these tendencies, and they don't define me. They can't touch my essence. Yes, everything is dying, and everything is so alive. Yes, I can share with some degree of confidence about my own experience, and I don't know what benefit it will bring. 
Because things never arrive, we are never condemned. Forgiveness is always available. The boundless qualities of the heart are always available. Loving kindness, compassion, equanimity, and sympathetic joy. Support from mysterious sources is always available. We're always supported. I've heard that many times in this room, and when I really let that in, I'm really touched right now when I um, acknowledge that we're always supported. You know, most of us are always fed. Food always just appears. It could be through great effort and on our own parts, but we receive offerings. We only seem we only seem condemned or stuck because we believe our thoughts or our stories. And our stories weave a fierce web sometimes. But an, an important question, I think, is what do they rest upon? What do our stories rest upon? Do they rest upon something everlasting in us? Or do they just rest upon habit energy of telling them over and over again? So forgiveness is a super important ingredient in life. Have you ever been released from the spell of the inner critic for a little while and looked back to see that, gosh, this force of negativity was just running my life for a little while? This miraculous moment happened to me last night in the Zendo, and there's a tendency, you know, before I decided to include this in the talk to just regard it as an ordinary moment, but it was a miracle in a way. It was a miracle period. So I was sitting there, fairly calm, engaging in meditation, and Thoughts about this talk kept coming up, and I kept getting nodded up. I don't know what to say. I don't know what will actually be helpful. This is a precious opportunity, and I want to offer something helpful. An interesting idea would come to me, and then this force would just squash it. And somehow, remembering to touch into the heart entered my sphere. Why did I remember to do that? I don't know. It was amazing. And the reality became, I don't have to get it perfect. It's not about being impressive. Just offer yourself. 
And then I thought about including that one extra special Mary Oliver poem in this talk. And it's been a while since Mary Oliver poems were in vogue at Great Vow Dharma Talks, but there was a season once where it became kind of cliche, at least in my mind, to read a Mary Oliver poem. But now that the opportunity presents itself, it just feels so good. So <laughs> I'm going to do that right now. And maybe you've heard this one before, and maybe you haven't, and I hope that you all really enjoy it. <clears throat> it's called Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. <clears throat> 